Welcome church. Welcome from wherever you are. I hope I find you well prospering in both spirit, soul and body. It's good to have you here and it's good to reach out to you this beautiful Sunday. And maybe before we get into the word of God today, I want just to start this service with Romans 12 verse 12, just to encourage you. The Bible says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. You see, we we living in beautiful times, very beautiful times. Strange as they appear, but they are very beautiful in that they will teach us maybe three powerful things in this scripture. They will teach us to be joyful always. They will teach us to be patient because we need patience now. They will teach us also to be faithful and to be very faithful in prayer because in these days, how do you live without praying? So I hope we Wherever you are, you really are joyful and hoping and hoping and hoping that it is well with you. And I'm sure you are as patient as you possibly can be in this kind of affliction. And I'm certain that you are praying and praying always and praying without ceasing. So welcome to this service this morning. Uh, before I invite my brother Vest to come and take us on, I want you to be listening to this beautiful song, faithful to the end. Be blessed. God bless you as you listen. We're heaven spun creation, his pride and adoration, treasures woven by his love. His careful hands, they hold us safe within promise of calling and of destiny we're heaven spun creation his pride and adoration treasures woven by his love his careful hands they hold us safe within his promise of calling Till the end, you are faithful. 
greet you as though it is a normal Sunday morning and uh, pretend like you're sitting right in front of us and that you must moving around and having a cup of coffee and uh, trying to find a place to sit because we want to try to make these moments as natural as possible although it's not quite the way that it feels as we stand here in front of you but in terms of just recognizing and celebrating church and celebrating each other and celebrating obviously what God is doing, it's so important that we grab a moment before I just read from the scripture to celebrate just life as believers. And just a simple few stories that I heard from this past week of what God's doing in King City Church and, and friends relating to us made me realize that even though we do video stuff, one of the most important things that we got to celebrate is the life that we share with each other. I've heard good stories that, that people are healthy, and, and I'm sure that there are little um, issues here and there, but in general, people are healthy, and we praise God for I've heard of pregnancies. I've heard of people falling pregnant, and so we praise God for, for life that He brings. I've, I've heard of people that in the midst of this trying time, in, in the midst of real, real serious issues that people are going through, there are people that are actually working and they're earning an income. We had an incident or a, just a story of somebody that came to give their tithe and drive all the way to physically hand it in and say, please, I want to give to God. I don't have the means to do it on a Sunday anymore. I've got to bring this cash. Otherwise, I'll use it for somebody, something else. I want to give to God. And, and so we want to celebrate. They want to celebrate the fact that we're able to give to the poor. And, and your incredible generosity, King City Church and friends, are enabling us to do that. And so we keep on um, being able to, to help where people are stuck without food. And I want to celebrate the fact that even though we're not gathering, God is working in the lives of people. And that is such good news. 
So celebrate with me, even though we can't be together and we long to do that and we miss each other immensely, that there's so much that God is doing. And let's look at that and not, not look at what we don't have. Let's look at what we do have. And so let's continue to honor God for that. I want to pray and just trust God to help us as we go through this time together today. Let's pray together. Jesus, um, we want to celebrate. I want to celebrate you. I want to celebrate what you're doing in our lives. We do know, Lord God, there are major challenges that we are facing, but we want to celebrate you and your faithfulness. We, we were, Lord, those words from the song was just faithful to the end. And no matter what we go through, there's never been a moment that you've not been faithful to us and you will continue to remain faithful to us into the future. I pray, Father, for our time together today as we, as we share around your word. I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help us to receive what it is that you have for us to learn, to listen to, and to apply. Pray for myself, God, that you will help me to communicate clearly. And Lord God, that this word will go out and accomplish that which you set it out to do so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Man, so obviously last week we started talking about the, the bed and we spoke about the fact that this clearly illustrates that there's rest that we can enjoy. And so we simply just went through our responsibility in a sense to make sure that we do rest. And we spoke about a physical and a spiritual and a mental rest. And so that was good and we looked at how Jesus did it. This week I want to carry on and actually focus a little bit more on what God provides for us as rest. In a sense, last week was our responsibility towards resting and what we ought to do. I want to look at what God promises us as rest for us as people of God. And seriously not talking about a physical kind of rest. Because when God promises us rest, He doesn't say, listen, I promised you six hours a night, definitely you're going to be able to rest. God's promise is much deeper than that. But obviously we try to illustrate it with this bed. So please bear with me and come with me to John chapter 19. I'm going to read to you something from there. It is a portion of scripture about the life of Jesus right, right here at the end right at the very last kind of seconds, minutes of his life before he was crucified. And I'm going to read to you from John 19, verse 28. It says the following. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so that they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I really want us to kind of focus just on those three words, which in Greek would just be one word. And it's the word tetelestai. Jesus said this, tetelestai, before he breathed his last. And tetelestai, the Greek word, comes from the root Greek word called teleo. Now, teleo means the following, to bring to an end, to finish, and to complete or to accomplish. So it's a crucial word because it signifies a successful end to a particular course of action. It's a word that you will use when you reach the end of what you had set out to do. It means, when you say tetelestai, it means I did exactly what I set out to do and now I'm done. So it's kind of like when you would reach the summit of 
Everest <laughs> and you get right to the top, you'll say, Tetelestai! What I've set out to do, I've accomplished, I've reached the top. Or maybe when you would finish at a specific assignment, you can shout, Tetelestai! I've finished what I'm supposed to do. I hope that husbands are shouting, Tetelestai! Because they finished the work that their wives had asked them to do. So, Husbands, please, if you haven't said Tetelestai recently, get your job done. Anyway, the point is this. Jesus said this because he knew what he had, had needed to be, to be done, he had done. But there's something remarkable about this particular portion of Scripture that I want us to carry on looking. And it's, and it's kind of like a thing that's hidden there. Because in general terms, we would not necessarily spot this. And to understand it best, we need to, and bear with me, take a deep breath, we need to do a Greek grammatical lesson quickly. <laughs> it's going to be a few seconds only. In the Greek language, which is the language that the New Testament mostly was originally written in, you would find that they use a few tenses. Um, they use obviously things like the present tense, they use aorist or past tense, they use future tense, they use imperfect tense, and they also use the perfect tense. Now, this sentence where Jesus says this, it is finished, is used in the perfect or written in the perfect tense. And the perfect tense is used to describe a completed action which produce results that are still in effect all the way up to the very present. Listen to that again. I'm going to kind of just paraphrase it a bit, a bit. It really speaks of an action which has been completed in the past with results continuing into the present all the way into the future. So the perfect tense in Greek says what was said there is still real today and will continue to be real into the future. So what happened then and the effect of that is still true today and will remain effective. So when Jesus said this, tetelestai, what he meant there is still real today and will continue to be real into the future. It's so different to the work that we often do here on earth is that we do something in the past, we have done, but it's not necessarily still real today and it probably will not continue to be real into the future. Like last Monday, I cleaned my paving. And, and because there were loads, hobbles of leaves everywhere. And so we cleaned it and, and it was a job, great, great job done and wonderful work done. But by two, three days later, none of that work was evident anymore. Why? Because the leaves continued to follow. And as we speak, I'll have to go back again and clean it up again. So I cannot say the perfect tense of my paving is clean. Hallelujah. Well, today it's no longer clean. And tomorrow, unless I do something about it, will still remain not clean. <laughs> but the problem or the, the beauty of, of this scripture and, and this portion and the tense used here in the Greek is that what Jesus did then is still real today and will continue. So actually Jesus was saying it in the following way. He said, tetelestai, when Jesus said tetelestai, it means not only have I completed something for now, but something forever. So Jesus completed salvation and rest from works forever and that is still in effect today and will remain like that forever. So our rest, therefore, 
based on, on what he has done in the past is still very real today and it's guaranteed to last forever. Jesus said, I've come to the place where what I needed to do, I've done and I don't need to do anything more. What did he come to do? He came to bring salvation to you and I. And so when he said, Testelestai, he said, I've done it. Nothing more needs to be done. It's complete. It's fulfilled. And so when we look at that and say, oh, maybe I need to do something more. I cannot fully rest on the work of what Christ did 2,000 years ago. I actually say to him, it's not complete. It's not Tetelestai. I need to add something. I need to add my good works and I need to add my effort to kind of make it complete. And Jesus said very clearly, you don't have to. In actual fact, you shouldn't. Nothing needs to be added to it and nothing should be added to it. In other words, we can rest today because the work that he did 2,000 years ago releases us from any effort on our side to get God to love us more or to be accepted by him. Our salvation is complete in the work that was done, that's still in effect today and will remain in effect. We cannot and we should never try to add something to it. Our good works can never change that or add something to it. The prodigal son in that story that we know so well, when he came back from having squandered his father's money, he said, well, I will only be accepted in my thinking if I do something for my father. And once I've done something, maybe he will accept me. If I can just come and be a slave, that's my contribution to add to what I need to give now because I've messed up. I think that's often how we live. We, we approach God and we say, God, what can I do to make you accept me more? But then when we look at Tetelestai and how it was written, we can understand there's nothing that we can or should add. Our rest is complete in Christ. There's nothing more to be added because the rest that God gives us, and again, the, the picture of the bed, is a perfect rest. We don't need to come and say, God, mm, I can only rest if I attend church enough, which at this stage is not perhaps that relevant. But if I read the Bible more, if I, if I pray more, if I do more good, then, then my rest in you perhaps will become more complete. But Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished. It is complete. We cannot add anything to it. Jesus has done it all. And we now can therefore rest. Not, I'm not talking about sleeping the whole day. I'm talking about a rest in the fact that the work that needed to be done has been done. I don't need to add anything to it. Let me take you to Hebrews 3, which is a beautiful portion that talks so much about this credible rest that God has for us. Hebrews chapter 3, and we're not going to be able to spend much time going through everything, but I'm going to read to you just from Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 16. It says the following, For those, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? 
And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? See it coming through. But he promised to those who were disobedient. He said, they will not have that. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And we know it speaks about the Israelites not being able to go into Canaan. In chapter 4, in verse 1, it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, it's still relevant for us. To, I'm not talking about that we all have to now move to Canaan, and therefore our rest is only possible when we move into the promised land. The rest in God. The promise that he has for us to rest, not just sleep. All right? It says, it still stands. Lest us fear, lest anyone... Any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So there's a very important aspect here. That rest is available for those who believe, who have faith. Let me rush on to verse 8. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, who was the one who led them into Canaan, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there's still more rest to come. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also listened to this. I'll read it again. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his Verse 11 then, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. But right here is very clear that there's a rest available for us. It's obviously is a rest from sin and, and, the, and the impact that sin has on our lives. It's called a salvation rest. But there is even more than just that. Because the entire Christian message includes a call to press on into God's rest that he has for us. And so we who have already put our faith in the blood of the Lamb are being told more good news. We have already escaped from God's judgment through the blood of the Lord Jesus. But yeah, there is further good news because it says the rest still stands. And I want to encourage you today that the moment we come to faith in Jesus, we are resting in a sense from the impact of sin on our lives. But when we pursue relationship with God, we start entering a different kind of rest where we rest from our own efforts of trying to please Him where we rest in the full assurance that he loves us regardless. It's not a ticket to do whatever we want to do and, and, and just go against all moral values that God teaches us in the word, but it gives us that assurance that God is in control of our lives. I can rest. I want to just give you three or four things of what this rest could look like, just practically for us. When God says, come into my rest, and, and there's so much that we actually should expound from Hebrews 3 and 4, talking about this beautiful rest that God has for us today. I want to firstly say to you that the rest that God has for us is a rest from works. Absolutely, from our own efforts. Any attempt to find favor, earn acceptance, or to be made righteous before God by one's own effort, ability, or willpower. God has rescued us from that. We can rest from that. Don't try to get approval. Rest in the full knowledge that God loves you just as you are. 
I think sometimes even on a, if on a given Sunday, if we were together, together like we always have, we find in a sense that we can be closer to God because we've come together, we've made an effort, we did something and maybe God will love us more if we had done all of those things. So in actual fact, I'm resting or I'm depending upon my own efforts. I'm not resting on the full work that Christ has done for me. But we rest because when we look at his work and we see how good it was, we don't have to try and do anything more. God, by the way, in Genesis said his work was good when he finished it. And Jesus could say, Tetelestai, I've done what I needed to do. Don't try to add anything. And then he rested. So our perspective of the good and excellent work of Jesus on the cross determines our level of rest. If we do not understand what he accomplished for us, we're always going to try to do something extra. But if we understand and realize and see the revelation of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, our rest comes naturally with that. It means it comes with no self-effort. No more trying to please God for acceptance by our feeble fleshly works. And the moment we enter into God's rest, work sees as a way to please Him. So we, we rest from works because there is an aspect of understanding what He's done for us. But the interesting thing is that although we rest from works, we also rest for works. And we do see that when, when God created the earth, he, after six days, He said, well, now we're going to rest. And nobody had done really anything, isn't it? It's kind of like He was saying, listen, we're going to rest for what's coming. And I believe that also part of our, our walk with Jesus involves that, that, that it's good at times to rest because in that we prepare ourselves for what he has. And so may you be encouraged to realize that we get saved not because of anything that we've done. And please, won't you go with me to Ephesians 2. I want to just share with you from here just two verses. It says, verse two, or chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. In other words, this is not because of your own good works. <laughs> Verse 9 says, not, a result, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Imagine if we could add to, 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 to the tetelestai. We'd walk around thinking, hey, look at me. I found something that pleases God and, and I'm going to sell it even. It says here, for we are his workmanship. So as much as Paul writes and says, your works don't accomplish anything, he says, but yet we are part of his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we are saved by his works, not by our own, but we are saved for good works. And those good works don't give us more um, acceptance before God. He doesn't love us more. It's just because of we, us loving him so much, we want to commit ourselves. That's why rest is good for works too. It helps us to rest from it, but it also helps us to rest for it. The second thing I want to say that, that rest is important in this whole um, discussion here today is that we rest from words. We don't only rest from works, but we rest from words and, and finding rest in God. By the way, if you sleep at night and you are not talking, that's a good thing. Because in the national sense, you're resting from saying too much and speaking a lot. 
And probably sometimes the only time that a lot of people are quiet is when they are asleep. But there's a rest that we find in God that also enables us to, to watch our mouths. And I believe being restful in God, knowing what He has done for us, keeps us from saying things that we ought not to say. If we find rest in what God says about us and knows what He thinks about us, it also keeps us from saying things about others and ourselves that we ought not to say. I've found that finding rest in God's will for our lives often can lead us to a place of not having to say too much or explain why we are doing what we're doing. Just resting in God. There's a wonderful verse in James chapter 1, verse 19, where James says this to us. We've got to be quick to hear, quick to listen, and slow to speak. Isn't it funny that we always want others to do that? And say, hey, 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 why don't you just keep quiet? Let me speak. It's like, what about me being quiet so that they can speak? And always this, this, this war going on. Who's going to say what and when? And, but Scripture tells us that actually it's good for us to rest from saying too much. By the way, saying too much about the current crisis that we're in is probably a good thing too. Probably listening to what God says is the best and not listening to too many other people that are saying the whole time what they think that's going on and what the reasons are and where we're going to go and end up with all of this stuff. Probably good to listen to God and, and let Him speak. I wonder how much less pain there would be be in this world if we were quick to listen and, and slow to speak. If we would find our place of rest in God and understand that He's in control and find peace in that and literally really rest, not just sleep, but rest in God, I do think that we will speak less and actually with our mouths bring less destruction to those that we are speaking to. It must start somewhere, the slow to speak thing. And I want to suggest, but maybe the bed, what that could mean for us is to take a rest from words a bit and just let God speak and let our listening be more eager than our speaking. The next thing I want to say to you that we need to rest from is rest from worry. We rest from works. We rest from words. We need to rest from worry. The dictionary also defines rest as the following, to be free from whatever worries or disturbs you. That's what rest is. So maybe I should ask the question then to all of us, how much are you at rest at the moment? Implying how many worries do you carry that make you restless? Psalm 4 verse 8, such a beautiful verse. You've got to go read this at your own time and not just listen to what I'm doing when I, when I read it. It says, David writing, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. No worries. <laughs> no worries. So I can because of God, my trust in Him, I can lie down and sleep because you make me dwell in safety. There's no element, there's no trace of worry there, is it? Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 
Isn't it true that we can, we can be on a bed, we can be fast asleep but actually restless and carrying a worry and a, an anxiety in our hearts and a concern because our minds are not at peace as what Isaiah says. Our minds are not staying on him, focusing on him, enjoying him and therefore we're restless. God's promise of rest is not just sleep, folks. God's promise of rest is his companionship, his presence, his peace, his love, his guidance. And that is what real rest is. And so bringing across that across to God's rest, this whole thing that we read in Isaiah 26, we would say that to enter God's rest simply means to be at peace with God. God has accomplished that for you and I to have peace with him. Tetelestai. It's been done. Nothing more needs to be done. So when we consider that and say, I can be at peace with God. I can be restful. I don't need to do anything. I can just walk into what he has done. It means to be free from guilt. It means no need to worry about sin because sin is forgiven and we are at rest. He's completed work. No more anxiety, no more pressure, no more guilt, godly peace. The seizing of human efforts that involves a total rest in the will of God. No more fear. We have complete trust and absolute confidence in God's care and control of our lives. I would be able to say, I rest because he's in control. I can sleep as David said, and dwell in safety, not because of the, the place where I'm at in terms of a physical surrounding, it's because of the inner place that I'm in, in my walk with him. The last one that we can rest from is an ultimate rest, and that is that we will ultimately rest from the world. When we are taken up and, 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 and we are taken into heaven into a, a, a forever time, eternal life and enjoyment of Christ. That is what awaits us etern- uh, eventually. That there is this place of ultimate rest. But you know what? Just as unbelief kept the Israelites from their rest in Canaan and, and unbelief could keep us from a rest today. So unbelief can keep us from this eternal one too. And if you're at a place where you've never understood how much God loves you today, I want to shout out to you. Jesus loves you and he died for your sins. And so he died not only for us to have rest here on earth, but have eternal rest. And we would love to help you if that is a struggle in your life to find that kind of rest. Please speak to us. Please make contact with us. And, and, and on Facebook, we have a page that you can try to use to make contact with us and shout out to somebody that can bring you in contact with King City Church and we'd love to help you. I want to conclude by saying that the true rest that God has for us is not just found in a room where you go and rest on a bed. The true rest is much more than that. It is a real understanding that it only comes from the work of God and what he has done for us. This understanding becomes real to us through a room relationship with him where you regularly listen to his word and his voice as you rest from other activities. So rest in a physical sense is good so that we can ponder upon what he says to us in the word. And the revelation of what he's done could become more real so that rest could become more apparent 
in my life. May I encourage you? We need to rest physically. Find those moments where you can rest so that the reality of who God is can become real to you. I want to end by saying, we live in rest when we abide in Him, when we enjoy intimate relationship with Him, when we come to the room and find the bed. We live in rest when we talk to Him and the Word becomes revelation to us. That is when we really rest, when we understand what tetelestai really actually means. We live in rest when we recognize what He has done and it carries real meaning in our lives. That's when real rest comes. See, the lack of physical rest is often related to ill discipline. But the lack of spiritual rest is affected by unbelief and a lack of knowledge and revelation of what He has done for us. I close by asking you just these questions. Are you living currently in the rest of God? Have you found rest through a relationship with Him? Have you come to salvation? If not, let's help you. Secondly, are you living free from your own efforts to gain acceptance? Are you living in the reality of God's rest that He has for you? That keeps you from certain works, words and worries. God's rest keeps us from that. From works, from words that we shouldn't be saying, and from worries that we live with. God's role in our resting means that we don't have to work hard to rest. Because all has been done. Tete less. God bless you as you rest in Him. Indeed, indeed, we can rest in a storm like this one. When we have our faith on the finished work on the cross of Calvary, when our eyes are fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that He has finished or done for us on Calvary, we can rest, beloved. We can rest like the Lord Jesus himself in that storm. So thank you, Vess, for the word of God this morning. I just want us to pray even as we rest in the presence of the Lord. Father, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name that you have given us all, all that we can desire, all that we can think of, all that we can need, all that we can even want. Lord, you have given it to us. And above all, you have given us your rest because your rest is in your presence with us and your presence is with us always. So thank you, Father, that even in a storm like this, we can rest. Even in a storm like this, we have confidence in you. We have confidence in that you are able and that you are with us always till the very end. We want to give you praise give you honor give you glory that lord we will continue to be encouraged to walk by faith until the very end thank you and thank you today thank you for the week ahead thank you for your goodness thank you for your mercies that are new every day thank you for your grace that is sufficient unto us we bless you and we honor your name in jesus name we pray amen and amen enjoy your week bless you